Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. We will do a quick take, hot take, selection Sunday show tomorrow night after uh, the selection is revealed. Um, we're optimistic about Florida's chances of being selected and invited to the NCAA tournament. Um, this show, we will uh, break down Florida's semifinal loss in the SEC tournament to Auburn. Uh, hard-fought game. Gators just really didn't play very well in the second half. Um turn the ball over too much and and lose so eric fawcett of gatorcountry.com will join me and we'll break it down for you thanks again for listening it's been a fun sec tournament and uh, as i noted in previous shows i've really enjoyed the first season of florida basketball hour Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. I am with Eric Fawcett of GatorCountry.com. The Gators are eliminated from the SEC tournament today, 65-62. The Gators lose a lot of close games, and this was no different. They they lose a really tight one in the SEC semifinals, Eric. They did, and uh, it's just crazy that they they shot like sixty two percent from the field offensively and still lost the game. That's uh, that's honestly tough to do, but they turned it over nineteen times, and that's uh, that that'll just kill you. And I think that's really just where the the conversation about this game kind of has to kind of start and finish, just because I really think that they played offensively well enough, and uh, I, we we can get into that. And I also thought they actually defended quite well. Um, and we can get into that as well. But just when uh, you just look at the raw amount of field goal attempts. That uh, that Auburn had more of. I think that they had something like 20 more field goal attempts, and um, they had a couple more offensive rebounds than the Gators. So, but but it wasn't extra possessions from from that. It was, it was turnovers and turnovers and turnovers. So to me, that was just that. That's the story of this game. Yeah, I mean the Gators win the rebounding battle by 15. Uh, they lose the offensive rebounding by one, um, but 19 turnovers. Auburn only had four. Auburn has 18 more field goal attempts, and when you give a more efficient offense, 18 more field goal attempts, uh, you're going to lose, probably. <laughs> Had to lose by only three, I guess, <laughs> is uh, is somewhat miraculous. But you identified that Florida shot 60%. Kind of an inversion of the first two games because Florida played, I thought, really well in the first half. And Jared Harper hitting ridiculous, troll god, contested three-pointers kept Auburn in the game. Yeah, I think people just definitely need to remember is um, I, I thought this, I thought Florida actually forced some tough shots and they went in. So maybe you look at that as say like, oh, they made it a shot. So, you know, that's bad defense. But I mean, I thought they defended it really, really well a lot of the times. I thought that they did a really, really good job of cutting off dribble penetration, which was um, a big problem in the, in the first matchup. Just the kind of the inability to keep guys like Jared Harper and Bryce Brown out of the paint. And I thought they actually really caught off that penetration, and it was uh, they forced some some deep shots, and and usually they were contested, and, and they went in, and uh, that obviously sucks for Florida, but at the same time, they uh, you look at you look at all those threes that Auburn hit, and it's like oh man, like that's crazy they shot the lights out, and it's still like well if Florida turned the ball over maybe even four or five times less, they stayed, and that's still turning the ball over a lot, like fourteen times just a little bit less and uh, and again that's why i just kind of have to view this game through the lens of of all these kind of dry offensive trips that, that florida gave up and extra opportunities they gave to auburn 
Yeah, Florida, you know, Florida went um, almost nine minutes without a field goal there in the second half, and that kind of allowed Auburn to claw out to uh, the eight-point lead, which which Florida almost negated. Um, but, but you know, Auburn erases a four-point deficit and kind of outscores Florida by 12 points in that nine-minute stretch when the Gators couldn't hit a field goal. What, what did you see that went wrong there where Florida got so scrambled and committed so many turnovers in, in that stretch in particular? Well, I, I mean, there's a couple where it was just Jalen Hudson being incredibly off balance and just he would pivot a couple times and then lose his equilibrium and fall over. And, <laughs> and uh, I mean, I think I actually thought I thought Jalen Hudson could have even had a few more turnovers. There were two drives to the basket where I thought the ball got stripped off his leg and uh, went to the bounds and um, they gave it back to Florida, but I wasn't so sure. But um, And part of that, speaking of those, I mean, part of the turnover problems is the fact that Auburn is the best team in the country at forcing turnovers. And it's actually just incredible, just some of their guards' abilities to get their hands in when they're digging in to, uh, to kind of get some steal opportunities. And uh, So part of it was just their, their excellence in that area of the game. Uh, but then there was also Andrew Nemhart probably trying to force, force the ball inside a few times too many. And, and there's a couple times where there were some cutters that were – kind of there and and, uh, and Nemhart tried to force it and it got tapped away uh that didn't work obviously and then uh, obviously we know Hayes had just a couple of unfortunate ones where he just uh yeah fumbled a pass or uh, or got it stripped yeah Kavarius Hayes with a double double but five turnovers and, and um I think probably three of those I, you know I, we, again we record without the benefit of a rewatch so I think at least two, maybe three of those were, um, excuse me, unforced. So it seems like, um, you know, Hayes' field goal percentage is pretty high, but could have had more baskets and just lost balls underneath. That is what's crazy just about, uh, like, talking about a guy who's kind of uh, obviously not been an offensive juggernaut this time in Florida. I mean, he fumbles a few balls out of bounds that you probably thought were about to be layups, and he still has 16 points. And uh, I think that's a testament to just a little bit of the work Kavaris Hayes has done and also, um, you know, Andrew Nemhart's ability to, to get him some layups. But, um, yeah, I mean, you put some of those layups on the board and it, instead of empty possessions and have Auburn going the other way. And, yeah, like I said, uh, in a one-possession game, those turnovers, uh, for a turnover discrepancy to be just that massive. Yeah, it really just, is. That's and, just too and, much. Um, and yet Florida – Cuts it to 61-60 after being down 57-49 at the under four. The Gators with an 11-3 to rally, um, which a lot of it I thought was really good coaching and putting Florida in a position to, to succeed uh, defensively and offensively. And then Florida gets 61-60 with the ball with, um, you know, a minute to go. What did you think about that possession that results in, in a pretty good look for Keontae Johnson? Um, and, and did you think, you know, Florida should have called a timeout there? I, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you. Uh, I mean, they got a pretty good, they got a pretty good look, like you said, and just kind of the end, even though I think it got a little bit late in the clock and I almost thought, I uh, thought they might not get that uh, a good look off. But, um, so for that reason, I say like, Hey, they, they actually got a pretty good action. And, uh, but, uh, I mean, the other just kind of problem with that is that Florida, I think Florida wanted to save their timeouts. Mike White wanted to save his timeouts for, um, just for the, you know, one more time he needed because he used some timeouts early. And uh, that was pretty interesting, again, looking near the end of the game where, where Florida just used their final timeout and Auburn had three of theirs left. I uh, just kind of said, uh, 
kind of showed a little bit of uh, some different coaching strategies there. But um, I'll, I'll say I, I didn't mind the decision not to call a timeout there, though I certainly would have wouldn't have hated it if he did. Um, and uh, you know they got a good look, and it, it didn't fall, and that's just the uh, the difference between. Um, elite shooting teams in college basketball and uh, not elite shooting teams. Right. In I mean, Keontae like had a couple that uh, that he missed today that were just really clean, open shots. And, and yesterday, of course, he knocked those down. So <laughs> that's kind of how it goes. Um, like Eric said, when it's not – I actually thought, you know, that I wouldn't have called a timeout either because I thought Florida I – mean, they had the big the big blob dunk uh, from Kavarius Hayes, but – you know, I thought for the second straight time, Auburn really did a pretty nice job otherwise on Florida's inbounds plays. And the Gators haven't been terrific in late game sets out of timeouts this season, uh, with the exception of Jalen Hudson burying a shot uh, that, that probably should have beat LSU, right? So I didn't have a problem with, with kind of running your offense out of the flow there. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you got to make that basket. Then they come back on the other end and, uh, just kind of a sag off by, by Jalen Hudson. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure there's any other way to diagnose that other than, you know, that Jared Harper can make that shot and, you know, Hudson just got a little too far away from him. Yeah. You maybe would have liked, uh, like, do you try to maybe uh, sit on one of his hips and send him into the paint and, and kind of trust the help behind you? I know there's lots of shooters on the floor for Auburn, so um, that's tough, but um, you know what? Like, I thought it was a, it was a, it was a contested three, not like a heavily contested three, but it was a, a three I would call contested and deep. So honestly, I, I didn't, I didn't think it was poorly defended. I know a lot of people just thought maybe the act of letting him get the ball off from three was was poor defense, but um, a, a, a three off the dribble, um, deep with uh, with contested, I, I would say that I, I was actually not, I didn't hate, uh, I didn't hate the defense. I thought it was fine and. Uh, uh, unfortunately, yeah, that's an elite shooter, and, and I think that's something that it was really interesting to see. Where, where Florida's a team that's shot more threes this year than they have in the Mike White era, um, but really just um, don't have outside of Noah Locke before his injury, don't have elite elite shooters. Um, Keontae Johnson is a okay shooter. Um, Kayvon Allen is a streaky, but if you look at his whole sample size, okay shooter. Um, Jalen Hudson, we know he has not been a great shooter. Um, so for it, and, Andrew Nembhard. Decent, but not great shooter, and and I think that you, when you see Auburn, you're like, wow, now like they, like that's a team that can shoot the ball, and um, if if you're going to be a team that really relies on threes, I think uh, yeah, you can look within your conference, see Auburn, and say like, yeah, if you don't have two or three guys, like there are two or three guys that can shoot the ball, um, maybe you shouldn't have your offense. Yeah, man, I think um, the the only thing I'd add on on that is uh, just because Harper had shot the ball that way throughout the game, I, you know, again, I might have. I might have encouraged Jalen to, to get on the hip and try to force him in the lane. Um, I don't have a problem with it being Jalen Hudson. That was the other thing people were tweeting at me like, oh, you know, why is Jalen Hudson guarding him there? And, you know, I think that the biggest reason for that is that Jalen is, you know, 6'6", and <laughs> that's kind of uh, the length matchup you want for that for a contest on a three. So you know that uh, you, you want your longest guy to, to contest there. Um, and also – you don't want to let Bryce Brown get loose, so you need Kayvon Allen on him. And so, I, you know, I don't really have a problem with that. I, I just think that I think Hudson just sagged off a little too much. Um, and you know, that's the kind of guy you give him an inch. And, and as we saw in the first half, when it didn't matter who was defending him or how many of them were contested, he could just he can just bury some ridiculous shots. So, 
Uh, they, they certainly made him today shooting at a 45% clip um, from deep with, like Eric said, a lot of tough makes. Yeah, and I, I just I, when that's kind of the way I look at I look at basketball from the analytics side is uh, you look at the shot um, from the time it leaves the hand. You don't really look at the uh, you don't really look at what happens. And and once again, if you look at the final possession and and, and I the way I look at it is like yeah, you got a deep contested three off the dribble, and uh, and those are that's probably a look that if you said um, kind of before that last possession, if you said hey, we either have uh, we either have Brown going downhill towards the hoop with help coming and he can kick it to a spot-up shooter, um, or we can have him shoot a contested deep three. Um, I would have said I'd rather take the contested three than, than getting him into the paint and potentially giving up a, a catch-and-shoot three, yeah. which are always higher percentage shots. Um, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, it, it fell, and I, I feel bad for uh, for Jalen Hudson, who's, a, who's you know, some people are saying it wasn't well defended, and, and um, I'm, got, I'm a guy who hasn't been um, – Always very complimentary of his defense, but I thought that was a that was a yeah, a, and a, a you know, and this is in a tournament where he had had, I think, multiple really strong defensive plays. Um, you know, certainly yesterday against LSU, just coming up with a couple uh, kind of a I would I would consider the new elite plays on dig downs that that got Florida the ball back. You know, one when LSU had a lot of momentum. Uh, so, you know, he had a good tournament defensively. And I think if you listen to some of Coach White's press conference remarks or read any of them that are posted on Gator Country or other places, um, White and the staff have been complimentary. That One of the things that they'll point out is Jalen is defending the best he has in his career, right? So, uh, yeah, I feel bad for him. I also feel bad for, for Andrew Nimhart, who, um, <laughs> you know, after all of this, after Brian, after the Jared Harper 27-footer, uh, you know, after after that, Jalen Hudson goes down and gets a layup in five seconds, which was actually really beautiful. And then uh, Florida has a chance because Bryce Brown doesn't do what he's told, um, at least soon enough. And Andrew Nimhart is fouled shooting a, a game-winning or a game-tying uh, three-pointer, um, and they don't get a call. Eric, you want to? I mean, is it, what do we, where do we even start on that other than, like, it's just kind of disgraceful to not call that a foul? Yeah, I, I, I don't really know. Uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone's really arguing that, too. And usually when there's a controversial call, I feel like there's um, there's maybe at least, like, some faction of people on the other side. And, and this one, I just uh, – I, I don't know if they were just maybe kind of uh, – maybe just determined not to give a bailout call there. I'm not really sure. And um, – just uh, it's just a shame after obviously Florida got got qu- a quick two which was perfect like you said oh actually one thing I really liked too about that play was uh, as we talked about earlier on this podcast where they they missed out on some late game quick two op- um, opportunities by using and uh, Kayvon Allen as the guy in that situation and as I pointed out that analytically is not the best decision to get him to use the go for the quick two it was uh, Jalen Hudson would be a much better option and they used Jalen Hudson so very happy with that decision um, but yeah, then you get the uh, you get the missed free throw, and you get this opportunity for um, for just a heave at the rim. And uh, yeah, I'm just not really sure how. Um, other than maybe the fact that Auburn had three bodies on Nemhart, blocked every angle from every every official, um, maybe that was it. But um, yeah, the, just the the sheer fact that just uh, there's no one kind of arguing that it was uh, it, it should have been a play on. It just seems like kind of just universally that was a that was a blown call and. Um, 
something that you obviously can't review. And yeah, it is. So Carl uh, Ravitch and Jimmy Dykes on the call for ESPN were astonished. Uh, Rob Douster, Scott Van Pelt, uh, Barstool Sports. I mean, d- name anyone. And uh, <laughs> the Twitterverse was just astonished that there was no call. What was interesting was like Douster and, and Jimmy Dykes pointing out that Hudson was fouled on the drive to get the two to cut it to 64-62 also. And there was no call. <laughs> like Dykes was very excited about it because Hudson lays it in and Dykes goes, well, he got fouled. And they didn't call a foul there. And then on the second inbounds play, because uh, Auburn had all their timeouts left, like Eric referenced, um, or almost all of them, uh, they get the ball into Harper, but then he goes one of two. So they arguably missed two calls, but certainly one of them, you know, I, and I guess – Eric said you could call it a bailout, but the rules are the rules, and he's shooting a three to tie the game. Like, you don't just don't call it because it's unlikely to go in. <laughs> yeah, well, it was interesting too from the standpoint of, of uh, there was that first free throw, and, and they hit it, and then um, you you could hear you could hear Bruce Pearl saying that they that the plan was to foul if you know if they weren't going to allow Florida to shoot a three to get back into the game or or anything like that. They were just going to. Uh, they're going to try to foul and, uh, and send them to the line and not give them an opportunity to put up three points. So if I'm a referee, usually in those situations, um, they're usually pretty quick to, to call the whistle just because that's kind of what, what both teams kind of want in that situation. And um, the fact that they, um, they kind of knew a play with contact was coming, um, presumably should have been able to get into a good position for a play that was like literally like almost the dead center of the court and to just not see it. I mean, I, I just, I, yeah, you just wonder – like, what do you do in that situation? I'd love to for them to review if they're in the proper positioning. Um, just from a, looking forward to being a better official, um, I'd love to see that. And, and I would just uh, – I do wish that there was times like this where, um, uh, you know, they had to go to a press conference and say what they saw. And if they say, hey, um, you know what, from my angle, uh, I actually was totally blocked. There was bodies in the way. And that's what all three officials said. Then, you know, it would suck. But they'd, you'd at least kind of be able to hear it from them. Yeah, I mean, they made this change in, in FIFA not to change gears or – go too off the beaten path here but um you know in, in international soccer now they've moved to where uh, at least one referee has to take questions at the end of the game and and you're limited to certain i love that topics right uh you I mean you can't question them about everything but there's clearly pivotal call or something on uh, a penalty or whatnot then then you can ask the question and i think it's really good because this would have been a good one to, to hear an explanation of you know, when the opposing head coach goes on the SEC network after the game and says, yeah, there was a lot of contact there. We were really fortunate um, because we fouled him and they didn't call it, uh, in quote. That's probably a good sign that a call has been missed. Uh, and it stinks that it's missed in, a, in an SEC semifinal uh, where, you know, potentially a seed line is, is at stake. Yeah, and that is one thing that yeah we didn't discuss yet is that this uh, I do think it could very well be a seed line for the Gators, and um, that could really matter when it's you know a difference between a twelve or right. eleven or whatever, uh, a ten or a, a ten or an eleven, whatever. Uh, and yeah, I, I do think that um, uh, yeah, I would just love to see like you said, you it, I don't know what exactly questions you'd be allowed to ask or not, but I just love to say like, hey, what did you see on that last play? Um, and if they said yeah, we thought all three of those players were able to get two hands on the basketball in addition to 
Andrew Demhart's two hands on the basketball and we saw eight hands on the basketball, then I might be skeptical. But um, at least, yeah, at least you kind of hear that. So, um, yeah, I'll be interested if, if the SEC makes any kind of statement. I, I, I'm really not expecting it, truthfully. But, um, yeah, it'll be yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, in it that, really would. Like the, other, the other topic before we – well, we should stick with officials just because, you know, I mentioned before we started recording that and we had discussed, and we've discussed on this podcast that there's been some uneven officiating in, in SEC games this season. Um, and, and at least, you know, at least four or five games just I had off the top of my head where I really felt officials affected the outcome of the game. And I can name them. So, you know, I'm not just saying it's, it's five games just to have a number. Uh, but I thought the first Mississippi mistake game um, – which was which was won by Ole Miss in Starkville was affected uh, by by officials late in the game because they just refused to call anything on the Ole Miss guards. Uh, didn't matter if they were bowling a china shop in the lane; it just didn't matter. Um, but but every time you know Miss State would do that, they'd call offensive fouls. So I thought it was really uneven and and worthy of questioning. Then we obviously have LSU Tennessee. We obviously have LSU, Kentucky. I, I, you know, it's a Florida podcast, but I think Eric agrees with me that Florida, South Carolina would have warranted such a discussion. Um, a couple vital plays in that. Silva at the end of the game with a push off, and Silva with kind of a hook curl play. Um, I saw Eric send out a tweet that was like, "Oh, it's too bad we can't review that because it wasn't a hook and hold." And like, I thought that was such a good tweet because. Um, yeah, wouldn't it be nice to be able to review that call uh, or any of these plays that I'm talking about um, in big games? And then, uh, you know, there was another in, in Arkansas, Arkansas LSU, which Arkansas ends up winning, but the game only goes to overtime uh, because they called a really crazy foul on a on a drive where Tremont Waters was really out of control. So, um, you know, you're going to get bad foul calls, I guess, and maybe that's a less good example because it wasn't like an obvious rule violation, except that like this is late in the game and it was kind of an out of control drive just for the tie and they got a whistle, which, you know, to Eric's point, you oftentimes won't reward an out of control player with a bailout foul, um, but they did in that game and they don't today. Yeah, and I, I again, I just think that they for Florida in that situation, they're probably just going to have to heave a prayer from three. And I think that they just saw it. Yeah. Like if they were to call a foul there, it'd be a bit of a bailout, but um, yeah, like Neil mentioned, just the fact that there's not really a review process for these big late game situations. I mean, unless a guy um, is jostling for a position on a rebound and, and puts his arm underneath someone else's arm. And that's kind of what college basketball has decided to fight as its biggest basketball this year, or his biggest kind of problem this year. And um yeah, just the one thing that's too that I, I just wanted to bring up as well is because uh, so you know just like many other people, um, after the play I tweeted out the, the video of, of the play and how I thought it was a foul and a whole lot of people responded to me with like, you know like SEC refs like just brutal like all <laughs> like what terrible SEC officials SEC has the worst officials, and just something that I I just kind of want to yeah bring this is up important I don't know how many people actually. Uh, just because I, yeah and I, there, I feel like there might be some people who don't um, yeah don't know this is the case but. Um, so, for example, so the three officials um, on the floor, um, each one of them has refed over 60 games this year um, in college basketball, which is a ton. And there's a lot of, of refs that'll coach, or sorry, yeah, that'll um, officiate uh, around 80 by the end of the year. And uh, they're not uh, they're not all 
in the same league. Like there's, so there's not these SEC officials that exclusively do um, SEC games. So um, I was able to find using Ken Palm's ref data. Um, one of the refs was Bart Lennox, who um, if anyone has seen the play um, with Scotty James, potential grad transfer uh, candidate for the Gators, um, where he had like the worst flop of all time um, against, uh, against Lipscomb. Um, and that was kind of just one of the, the worst kind of missed calls in, in college basketball. See, I know they were viewed it and figured it out. But, um, yeah, Bart Lennox was on the floor for that one. And he was also on the floor for the LSU-Tennessee game that was uh, uh, that Neil mentioned before. Um, but, again, in terms of, like, SEC officials. So let's look at Bart Lennox's um, schedule. So, um, yeah, before the SEC tournament, um, he was uh, he repped that Liberty-Lipscomb game. And, uh, yeah, before that, he, he repped Marshall versus Florida International. And before that, he repped North Florida versus North Alabama. Um, as I just kind of scan over, I see Florida Gulf Coast versus Jacksonville, Georgia Southern versus Little Rock, um, BCU Dayton, uh, South Carolina, Arkansas, uh, that LSU Tennessee, Chattanooga, BMI, uh, East Tennessee State, Samford, um, uh, St. Louis, St. Joseph's got some A10 action in there. Like, um, so you see the, the, all these officials. So when you say it's, when people say SEC refs, um, they actually don't really these refs are not actually SEC refs per se, just because they are refing in all these other leagues, like um, all, the, all the leagues I just mentioned. There's Conference USA and Atlantic Sun and Sunbelt and A10 and um, all kinds of leagues from low major to mid-major to high major. And um, I do think that brings up a potentially like interesting discussion is um, should the SEC have SEC officials that exclusively do SEC games that don't go and ref um, Marshall, Florida, International in uh, just the other week in March or Florida Gulf Coast, Jacksonville or Georgia Southern Little Rock, because that is a very different style and level of basketball than the SEC. And um, when you see some of these like missed calls and stuff, you wonder if like, hey, what if you could, what if these refs ref fewer games? They weren't refing like 70 a year. Um, they ref less games. Um, we're refing just SEC games and we're only refing kind of that caliber of basketball. Um, would it change the quality of officiating? That's just yeah. That uh, and look, about. the, the, a tweet I've sent out a lot this season has been that in, in these situations, those five games in particular, but if I, if I go through the whole season, you know, I'm sure I could find another game or two to add. Uh, you know, Eric and I had a debate about the LSU-Florida game and a goaltending call uh, in Gainesville on senior night. So there are other ones that, that potentially could, could meet that bill as well. And I think I just want, you know, the SEC and the other if it's the power six, that's fine. If it's the mid-majors that get together, but, but the leagues individually have to evaluate, you know, the, the referees that end up at their games. And I think that they've got to make a determination uh, about quality of those officials and, and try to make sure that they get the best officials on the floor um, for their league games and their conference tournament games. And if that sounds simplistic, I guess it kind of is, but, uh, there has to be some sort of oversight mechanism, I think, that's different than what it is now because there's just too many games that were affected this year um, by officials. And then my other point would be just not to, and I, you know, I guess I am beating the dead horse, but if you, like, I watched the ACC tournament last night while Eric was coaching, and, and they had five different reviews of out of bounds possession arrow plays at the end of the Florida State Virginia game that extended the game on television by 20 minutes. And if you can look to figure out if the ball is off Trey Mann or Ty Jerome's hand for two minutes, three times within 30 seconds of basketball time, you can review a play call. 
um, just to make sure it's right. And, and that would kind of be my, my take on that. And maybe that's where the, the individual leads come into play, right? Like maybe they hire two or three people like in football, in college football, who are at the league office and, and they're kind of the review people and they trigger the review. So you don't get into coaches challenges and stuff, but you know, maybe that's it. Yeah. Right. I mean, even if they, like, I don't love the idea of the challenge system with a finite number, but I, I, I think it might be even better than uh, kind of right now. And uh, I, I've always with really all sports to me, just because um, all sports have really gotten into the review process. Now I'm kind of of the mindset that I think you should either be able to review everything or nothing at all. Um, like I, 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 the fact that there's like uh, these kind of like, I think honestly arbitrary things that they have decided that can be reviewed, such as um, whether a ball hit the rim or not for a shot clock reset or an out of bounds play, or um, is it two or three um, yet a, a, a hack across the arm um, or, or a hold two hands on the body on a driving guard. Like there's just like some arbitrary things to me that I think are arbitrary that they've said, yes, these are reviewable and um, these other things that are not. And I'm kind of the opinion that um, I'd rather either they review nothing and just have the game totally up to the eyes of the officials. Or I'd say like, I, I think you could be able to, I think you should review everything. And if you do review everything, I think that maybe then you probably do need a challenge system to be able for a coach to say like, Hey, um, I want to challenge this. And, and this is why look at this very, particular detail um but yeah just like this odd mix of like what can and can't be reviewed i, I just yeah i agree with eric um so one last question about the end of sequence the end of game sequence there i guess would be uh you know there were a lot of florida fans and and you know i think a lot of them that are from the the hive as we call it um but but a lot of people that were really upset that it seemed like you know mike white just went through the handshake line after the play and so I kind of wondered what your take on that was because I mean, I get it. Like, I think it makes everybody feel my take is I guess it would make everyone feel better if white jumped up and down and threw a fit, but you know, I'm not really sure it accomplishes anything in a, in a world where there's no mechanism for review. I mean, we had three refs miss it. Maybe Mike white didn't see how egregious it was in real time um, from that kind of side. Um, I think, you know, the side of the benches he was on was, was kind of the side with uh, the two bodies on it, not the one that uh, where he was most egregious actually, was most egregiously grabbed across the arm. So maybe, so uh, yeah, I was kind of thinking that maybe in, in real time, and the other thing too is Andrew Nemhart didn't freak out about it, um, which I think is his demeanor. Um, shout out to, <laughs> you know, a fellow Canadian. But, um, but I mean, I, there's, there's a large part of me that thinks that he probably didn't really see it in like with a great view. And I mean, like, again, if three officials missed it, um, I, I'd say there's a chance that Mike White maybe didn't see it from uh, to the full extent from his, his kind of angle. And um, also just, uh, again, like, uh, I, I think Mike White's demeanor with the officials has, has never really been to, uh, to really break them. And with the final buzzer on, I mean, he knows that that call is not going to change no matter how much he kicks and screams and yells. And um, I, I think he just kind of chose the, the professionalism aspect and, and, uh, I, I'm okay with it. I, I don't really think it would have accomplished much for him to, um, to, to you know, started screaming and, and yelling and finger pointing. And, and if he did, I wouldn't have been like, oh, well, like, that's a bad look for Mike White. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not mad. Yeah, I mean, look, like I said, I think it would have made a lot of people feel better. But to, like, use that as an indict of his competitiveness is really bizarre to me. Like, that's that to me just signals that you're searching for things to dislike about Mike White, to be candid. I, I, I think that's just yeah, weird. I totally um, 
you know, one Pat Forty had an interesting view of it, which was he tweeted out that he got a text from a mid-major coach after the play from a, you know, one, maybe two bid league. So speculation, feel free to speculate as to what that is, but, or who it was. Uh, but, but I guess Pat Forty got a text that was from mid-major and is like, you know, Mike's a really classy guy. Uh, he's a first-class individual. So he's not going to have a meltdown about that probably anyway. But if you were in a mid-major league and that happened, he said you would have had to call like the FBI and the National Guard to get <laughs> coach off the uh, off the floor. And yeah, I mean maybe that's true. I mean, that's that's one of the things about college basketball that's always tough this time of year. Um, and and you know that's the difference between life in the Power Six and and life in the mid majors. Uh, but I didn't have any any real. You know, I'm not going to use it as an indictment of Mike White's competitiveness, nor do I question it but i understand that there are those who who do and like eric and i have said on this podcast you know opinions are good and we appreciate people expressing them yeah that absolutely i mean um i i I just if you you know hear mike white talk and you kind of know what he does behind the scenes i mean you, you don't question his competitiveness like it just that does not cross my mind um questioning his competitiveness that is not an issue and i would just assure people that um, yeah, I, Mike White's competitiveness is not a problem. Um, he is, he is a competitor and, um, yeah, in that moment with, uh, anything he have done, uh, send Andrew Nembhardt to the free throw line, um, unfortunately, no. So, so what are your, uh, you know, macro that. level takeaways from, from the SEC tournament? Uh, you know, maybe I'll give you one and then, uh, I have, I guess I have two, so I'll give one now. The first one I have is that, um, that I think that this is invaluable for these freshmen that I think getting a taste of, of big-time tournament play, they get to the semifinals, they, they really come close to making the finals. You know, I actually – I do expect, like I've said on the show, I expect all of these guys back together at least one more season. Um, and, yeah, I just think it's an invaluable experience and it should leave them wanting more next year. But it, but it also – they kind of got to see firsthand what it takes to win these games. Yeah, and I mean, even uh, that's kind of one thing about Mike White is that uh, in their era, they have not to have been very good in the SEC tournament. Yeah, so even for for him to get to uh, see some wins there, and um, yeah, I, I think that that was uh, just the ability to kind of uh, like so far, Florida has had two games I would say where they de- they needed to win, um, or they were going to be out of the NCAA tournament, and that was the Arkansas game and the LSU game. Um, if they lost against Arkansas, they definitely weren't in the tournament. If they lost against LSU, I actually, I don't think they would have made the tournament, though it would have been close. But I, I would say those were two do-or-die games, and they won two. And this uh, this was not a do-or-die game against like uh, Auburn. And, I mean, I know it wasn't the SEC tournament, but it wasn't for the NCAA tournament. So the way I see it is Florida's played two do-or-die games this season, and they've won both of them. Uh, so they're 2-0 in do-or-die games because I'm not counting this Auburn one where you know they're still going to the dance. So... Um, yeah, like that matters to me, and the, the fact that you kind of see that effort from them. So, um, uh, you, and just uh, especially even looking at looking at that LSU game where um, things were not looking good at the half, and they came out much better and, and had an excellent second half, and even just the, to make those adjustments to dig deep, uh, those things were. Yeah, really I think those are well. those are great points, and and kind of my other point would have been just yeah, they got the job done right. They they had to win two games. Uh, they well, we thought they had to win one, and then some other stuff happened on the bubble. 
um, that kind of meant yes. that they had to win more than one, basically. I mean, when St. <laughs> Mary's beat Gonzaga and when VCU lost, the the scenarios kind of changed. Um, and so, you know, Florida needed two wins, and they got two wins. So that they did what they had to do. Uh, and, and I don't think that there's any – I don't really think there's much suspense that tomorrow night, do you? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I would have to look at – if there's, there's any like obscure possibilities, but um, I, I do think uh, I do think they're in, and, and to me it's just the question of uh, are they going to be a 12 or, or an 11? That's kind of the one thing that's uh, that's all I'll kind of be watching for. But hey, maybe I'll be totally wrong. Yeah, I mean, um, that. I guess a couple sites have them on the tin line today. Uh, Haslametrics. Uh, I think Lenardi had them as the top 11. Uh, Bracketville had them as an 11. So, uh, Shelby Mast had him as a 10. So, they, they were a 10 on a few. Delphi had him as a 10. So, I tweeted them out at the Florida Basketball Hour account. So, you know, I don't think they'll stay on the 10 line, to be honest. I think they, they probably lost that today. Um, although, we still have to see what happens in other games. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, I think that it's unlikely that they're going to date. And also my guess is that they're in the field and that they'll play Thursday or Friday. Yeah. I mean, as you were talking, like, like truthfully, I do think just because of the nature of who I am, I do think I'll still be like, just, just a little bit nervous until, until I really see their <laughs> name come across the screen. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I do, I do kind of the logic of, of, of people who are better at bracketology than myself. And, and just also just what I found myself is I, I do think Florida's uh, Florida's in, and I don't think they're in a, in a playing scenario. So, I, I which uh, yeah, I definitely uh, definitely hope that's the case. And I, I'm just really looking forward to seeing who Florida plays and, and getting into some film. So, uh, yeah, now that uh, Florida has lost, I just uh, yeah, I wish no. It was so now. we uh, we'll come back to you guys obviously after selection Sunday. We'll get a we'll get a show up um, early in the week, preview Florida's opponent sooner rather than later if the Gators end up in Dayton. Um, which you know, again, I don't think that's that likely um one thing i wanted to bring up before we close the show about you know the possibility of dating is just minutes uh andrew nimard played 112 minutes in the sec tournament which is absurd um out of 120 uh keontae johnson played 108 minutes so just really heavy minutes came on allen over 100 jalen hudson over 100 uh, so yeah, four guys played a hundred plus minutes, you know, time to hydrate, get some rest. Yes, that would be, uh, that would be interesting if they find themselves in a quick date and turn around. So yeah. Let's, let's I, the committee good. usually is good about rewarding weekend teams with Friday games, but not always the Saturday eliminated teams. Usually if you play Sunday, you don't play till Friday. I'm sure Bruce Pearl and Auburn, for example, who will play their fourth game in four days tomorrow, will be very, very excited to hear that they play on Friday and, and probably irritated if they're sent somewhere Thursday. Well, I mean, this is the, we also, of course, have my favorite Selection Sunday tradition coming up, and that's um, Calipari complaining about how he's being <laughs> screwed somehow. So, uh We'll see what we'll see what they day what what, uh, what day they end up playing on and uh, see where they're playing and uh, how that uh, yeah how that Calipari drops, uh, will Calipari. complain and Seth Davis will pick Florida to lose put it in the bank Florida's opponent Sharpie <laughs> um, 
will be tweeted by by Seth Davis or or on air. I don't know how long it'll take Florida's name to get read before he picks Florida to lose. So get ready for a tradition unlike any other. Thanks for listening, guys, and uh, we'll be back.